This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. It's time for a plan and a strategy as Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio puts a financial management advisor in your corner. Alan Small of the Alan Small Financial Group with Hollis Wealth. Okay, welcome back. We turn to your money now. It's a new year, it's RRSP season, and tax time is looming. So it's the right time to take stock of your finances and get a handle on what you have to look out for. Just this morning, the Bank of Canada raised its key lending rate by a quarter of a percentage to 1.25%. It's the third time it has moved its benchmark rate from once record lows since last summer. The markets are continuing to climb, but a lot of people are nervously wondering how long that can go on. What does that mean for you? Do you have a plan for retirement or semi-retirement or whatever whatever it is that you're doing with your life? And, you know, what should you be doing as you uh, check your financial uh health and wealth. Uh, Alan Small is here to sort it out for us and to take your calls and your questions. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Alan, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Okay, so uh, let's deal with what just happened this morning, another interest rate hike. Uh, it's still small numbers, but it's the third one since the summer. Absolutely. And uh, it's definitely telling uh, individuals or should be telling investors that, I guess, uh, lower for longer, the era of lower for longer, lower rates for longer is no longer here. We are expecting, uh, we were expecting this rate increase today and we're expecting a few more uh, by the end of this year. So you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you start to take a look. Uh, people need to take a look at how much they're paying, how much interest they're paying on their loans, whether it be variable rates or fixed rate mortgages. And uh, I think you need to be mindful of that going forward. Okay. Um, now, one of the things that used to be true all the time was that by the time people got to be Zoomers, their mortgages were paid off. But that is no longer the case. And so what do people have to do if they still have debt? And that debt is based on the assumption that those interest rates aren't moving. Well, I think what you need to do is anything you need to, anytime you need to assess what your, your debt level is. Obviously, we hear quite often that in Canada, the debt levels are quite high. For every $1 that the average person is making, we're actually spending about close to $1.70 now. So debt levels seem to be very high. Uh, just a recent uh, survey that came out said that over 30% of, uh, of Canadians are saying that they are living paycheck to paycheck. And if interest rates rise significantly, they don't know how they're going to handle that. So we are seeing debt levels uh, extremely high or a lot higher than we would like to see, the government would like to see. And it's something that people need to be mindful of. I think you need to be you know, cautious about when you borrow, 
at what rate you're borrowing and if you should be borrowing and, and the amount. So I think, um, as I said, I think a lot of people were just borrow money to, to make an investment. I know a lot of people that would borrow to buy different pieces of property, different real estate. I don't know if that's a, a good idea necessarily. Obviously, it depends on the, the, the real estate you're buying, but also at what rate can you borrow money at? And I think that is what is, what is changing. Okay, well, what about if, if you already have the debt and um, you're not in a position to pay it back? What do you do then? And that's a great question. And I think that's when you have to work alongside with uh, the person or the institution that's lending you the money. Obviously, this is something that I think you need to prepare for well in advance. You know, if you're just waking up today and, and realizing that, oh boy, you have a, a problem and can't afford the new interest rates that the bank is going to be charging you on your variable rate mortgage or what or a line of credit, then unfortunately, you're already behind the eight ball a little bit. So this is something I think you want to get ahead of. I think you want to, if you can, start paying down that high interest rate debt that you may have, perhaps replace it with lower interest rate debt. So there are things that you could do. You know, you can take out, if you can, a secured line of credit and pay off maybe uh, other things that are a higher rate with that secured Se- line. Secure, uh, secured with your home. Secured with your home, absolutely. And there are different things you could do to lower, uh, the, to lower the interest that you're paying. But it is definitely something that you need to do. And I think one thing to be mindful of, and a lot of people are saying, well, it's only a quarter point. But with the new rules that have been put into place, these stress tests on people that are actually borrowing to buy a house, you will have to qualify for a five-year fixed rate. And that posted rate today is in and around 5%. So even though you may get a mortgage of maybe, let's say, 3 3 4%, you will have to qualify for a 5% mortgage first, and then you could get that lower rate. So the banks now are starting to stress test. Government has put in place things that, you know, they want to see this housing market slow down, and they're going to put in things into place that will hopefully slow down the red-hot housing market that we've seen. Now, are they going to put, if you already hold your mortgage, are they going to apply a stress test? And what if you don't pass? No, no. Right now, I think it's it's basically, from what I understand, it's just those that are, you know, moving to, to buy and take out a mortgage at this juncture. Okay. Uh, well, we have a, a question on interest rates. Let's go to Donna in Toronto. Hi, Donna. Yeah, hi. I just, uh, I better turn down the radio. Sorry. Yeah, I just want to know if um, if the government cannot uh, bring laws that control interest rates, the way the banks raise the rates. Well, I think the Bank of Canada will raise rates depending, uh, it'll be also depend on what government is doing, what the economy is doing. So right now, the Bank of Canada is raising rates because Canadian economy is doing extremely well. We are growing a lot of jobs. Retail sales look really, really good. Manufacturing is good. Our exports are doing well. Now, of course, uh, what's going on with the United States, whether or not we will have a a free trade trade agreement with them, whether or not... Uh, Mr. Trump will will rip that up. That remains to be seen. But overall, our economy is firing on maybe not all cylinders, but a lot of them. And so the Bank of Canada will look at this before they set policy. So I would say that they kind of work in tandem. They may not talk directly to each other, but they definitely feed off each other. Well, uh, Well, just just to clarify, sorry, Donna, Donna, just sorry, Donna, just to clarify. The Bank of Canada is set up to be independent from the government. And if any government were found to be dictating interest rates, that would be a huge scandal and against the law. Absolutely. Control greed. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay.
Yeah, no, I think uh, that's what she meant is that can the government dictate this? Dictate. But no, no, they are independent. They're totally independent of each other, absolutely. Okay. Um, let's uh, move on to another topic, and uh, that is uh, people are really worried about a potential market pullback. And just to give it some context, I mean, traditionally, older people want to put their money in so called safe investments. Uh, That's not working when you have 1% interest because you're basically losing money uh, after you take into account inflation. But this, uh, would you say we're still in a bull market? It's been going on for a long time. It's been good. It's been very good. You know, uh, the bull market is one of the longest in history. And I think you bring up a very good point. And I think one of the reasons why this market has continued to move higher, there's this acronym that we use in our industry, and it's called TINA, T-I-N-A. And it stands for There Is No Alternative. Oh, okay. And so for for quite a while, uh, for the last, let's say, 10 years, there hasn't been an alternative to the stock market if individuals want to grow their wealth. Like you said, 1% just doesn't cut it. And that's what you've been receiving on your Canada savings bonds, your GICs, your bonds, good quality bonds. However, if interest rates continue to rise and they rise enough that there becomes a new alternative to put your money into that it actually will pay you enough to pay your bills and grow your wealth. That is when I think you could see this market begin to sell off because people will then begin to rotate money out of the stock market and perhaps into fixed income like bonds, like GICs. There will be another alternative at that point. I still think we're a little ways away, but right now people just keep plowing more money into the stock market because there's no other option for their for their hard-earned money. Okay, well, how much... I, I would think interest rates would have to rise quite a bit before it became a, a you know a viable alternative. Well, right now, if you look at the ten year ten year government bond rate, which is what we look at in the U.S., it's somewhere around two fifty two sixty. Here in Canada, it's around two point two percent. So maybe when we start to approach three four percent, I think that's when you could start to see people talk about an alternative. That's when I think you can put your money into an interest-bearing investment and actually earn enough to cover the rate of inflation and then some, uh, obviously before tax. So I think once you start to get into that area of 3 4%, I think that's when investors start to consider maybe there is another option to putting my money into the stock market. Okay, well, that's interesting. And uh, there are some options, some other options in the meantime. Right now, we have to take a quick break. I'm going to give the numbers out again because I'm here with Alan Smith. And he's taking uh, any of your questions on your finances, and uh, he's got plenty of really good advice. So feel free to give him a shout. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740, and we'll be right back. It's time for a plan and a strategy as Fight Back with Libby's Nimer on Zoomer Radio puts a financial management advisor in your corner. Alan Small of the Alan Small Financial Group with Hollis Wealth. Welcome back. I'm here with Alan Small. We're talking about your money and uh, what to look out for in the new year. Alan, you've just explained that a lot of people are in the market because there's no alternative, but there are worries in the market. And one of the thing is that with so much money in the market, a lot of these companies are very highly valued. Yeah, and that's one of my concerns. You know, heading into 2018, higher interest rates was a concern. Possibilities for inflation uh, it was a concern. And valuation, as you say, a lot of these companies have gone up quite a bit over the last five, 10 years. And 
is that justified? You know, are the are these companies earning enough to justify their stock price going so high? And in many cases, I would probably argue no. Uh, however, there are still many companies out there that I would still say are cheap, and those are the ones that you that you want to find. So valuation is definitely something as an investor today you need to be mindful of. Okay, so uh, what are some of the companies that that are um, properly valued? <laughs> well, that's cheap. That, that, that's a great question, and and you know I think in every sector there are some whether it be Canadian banks or technology companies. Um, you know, there are a lot of individual names that I think you could find. A lot of the names that we're familiar with, whether it's on the technology side, like a Google or a Facebook or an Amazon that we all know, a lot of these names, unfortunately, are have run up so much that they would be on the more on the fair to high side of valuation. Whereas some of the more boring names, some of the names, some of the old technology names, let's say like maybe like an IBM or something like that, it makes a little bit more sense from a valuation perspective. But at the end of the day, every investor has to do what's right for them. So it's not like you can just find an investment. You really want to find an investment that is right for you, an investment that meets your risk levels and your financial goals. And I think that's where you start. And then from there, you branch out to what makes sense. Okay. I'm, I'm going to give the numbers out again, because we are about to discuss uh, the hot stocks that are all over the news and everybody wants a piece of and and. Um, is that a smart way to go? Is it too late, too early? The numbers four one six three six zero zero seven forty toll free one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. I'm here with financial advisor Alan Small, and okay, let's get to it. Uh, all over the news now, marijuana stocks. We're we're about to have legalization. Uh, supposedly on July the 1st. And and a lot of these companies have had a big run-up. Is is that something people should put their money in? And that's a, a question I've been getting, I can't tell you how many times. I think from, from the period between January 2nd and January 6th, I probably took, I lost track of how many calls. And they're from uh, different types of people, uh, ages, millennials to retirees. Everyone's asking, should they be putting money into marijuana stocks? Because these stocks have gone up by so much and so quickly that everybody wants to jump on the bandwagon. And so my answer is this. These stocks are high risk. Make no mistake. You know, for, for everyone that you know doubles your money, they could lose half that in, in, in a matter of hours. So for those that want to invest, you need an iron stomach. You need to have money that you can say, well, if I lose half... I'm okay with that. This is my play money. I wouldn't be investing uh, your hard-earned retirement funds into something like marijuana stocks. If you can part with a certain amount of money, that's what I think you use because most of these stocks, they don't even earn any money at this point. They don't make money. They spend more than they're earning. I'll give you an example. Uh, Afria, one of the larger uh, cannabis stocks, they reported earnings recently. They made about $8 million for the quarter. You take that over the course of the year, it's about $32 million for the year. Their market cap, or what they're worth on the stock market, is almost $4 billion. So you could see how overpriced their stock is versus how much they actually make. So a lot of these stocks have been moving up on hope, on momentum. People are hoping that when it becomes legal, that these stocks will go up even further. Very similar to what we saw in the late 90s with the tech industry. I was going to ask, a lot of people got burned with that, and a lot of people uh, remember that. Absolutely. Now, a lot of people made a lot of money, but a lot of people lost a lot of money, and I think that's what you're going to see with this sector. So can you make money buying money, uh, uh, investing money in this sector? Sure. But can you lose? I think just as quickly. 
Tell me about uh, your 80-year-old client. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so I received a call from a client who is uh, late 70s, early 80s, and she wanted to buy uh, one of the big marijuana stocks because she had heard that this was uh, going higher. And it was. And uh, sure enough, uh, obviously, she's my client and she wanted to buy. So we purchased, but we purchased a small amount, something that she could handle that if she wakes up tomorrow and it's worth half its value, that she would be okay. Keep in mind, these stocks, they're going up 15%, down 15% in one day. It's not like, you know, those kinds of returns usually happen over a course of a year and they're happening in one day. So I mean, are you advising people then, okay, if this thing goes up 15%, sell it, lock it in? You can, uh, but people aren't doing that that, you know, they're thinking that there's a lot more to come. And so, you know, Canopy Growth, one of the largest names in that space, you know, it was a $15, $20 stock. Today, it's, you know, it actually got up recently to over 40. And it's trading somewhere in the mid 30s today. So it can move extremely fast. You just have to be willing to take that volatility. Okay, yeah, maybe maybe not uh, the best thing for uh, the average 80 year old investor. Probably not. Probably not. Okay, and then, okay, let's go to the other thing that is all over the news. And uh, there was just a big feature. Where was it? In the New York Times on these new Bitcoin billionaires. And, you know, they're all 24 years old. Bitcoin, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Okay, uh, explain what it is. Well, and that's the great question. So it is a digital currency. It's basically cryptocurrency or digital currency. And I think people make the mistake in that when they call me up and say, can we buy Bitcoin? Well, it's not a stock. It's not something I can go to the stock exchange and buy. Now, there are uh, you know, futures that trade in Bitcoin, but most people aren't involved in futures and it's you know a little bit too complicated for them. So at this point in time for the average retail investor to buy this alternative digital currency called Bitcoin, it's very difficult. There's not many ways to buy it. At some point in the near future, there will be what we call an ETF, so an exchange traded fund that you could buy on the stock exchange where you could actually buy Bitcoins on uh, through. And I think that is coming soon. But for now, it is something that is not available. And really what it is, is alternative form of payment. It's a digital currency. I think what the craze about Bitcoin is, is really not to do with Bitcoin itself, but the technology behind it. The blockchain technology, I think, is really what everybody's interested in. And that technology actually can be used in other areas at some point down the road. So Bitcoin is just you know, one digital currency. There are many of them. Uh, I think there's something like a hundred of them right now. How how do you use Bitcoin to pay for things? I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, one of the criticisms of it is that you can hide a multitude of things, like it's great for criminal activity. Absolutely. And, and you know, ransomware. I had my computer about a few mm-hmm. months ago. Uh, unfortunately, we had a virus called ransomware, and they basically encoded all my all my information on my computer or a lot of it and said if you want the key to unlock it you got to pay us and that's why it's called ransomware they held my information ransom and they wanted me to pay them in bitcoin and so it can't be traced by government so as you said unfortunately a lot of people in the uh and the the not so legitimate world that we'll call it or the criminal world uh they'll use that form of of currency to receive payment and so 
I guess to exchange goods through using Bitcoin, you all have to be part of the the Bitcoin community. And it's an open community. Everybody sees what everybody has in Bitcoin. So it's not like when when you transact business, you have to get a loan from a bank. You're able to see what the other person has, and you're able to see if they can make payment or not. And that openness, I think, is really the attractiveness of it. And how how is the exchange made? And how does how does it it just goes up and down in value that one bitcoin equals well, the, 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 the up and down in value, I think, is based on supply demand, and that's obviously related to the U.S. dollar. But in terms of exchanging, you would basically exchange Bitcoin via your computer, the Internet, and you would be basically it's done. This mass record is kept by everybody. Everybody has access to it, and you would just conduct business as you would any with any type of currency. Otherwise, um, or I should say, the only difference is it is open. So you see how much everybody has versus when we conduct business together, you don't know how much money I have. I don't know how much money you have. I don't know if you need to get a loan from the bank to, to buy the goods that I'm selling. Here, you have the money. It's all seen. It's all on the table, so to speak. Uh, and do you believe that we, how much has it gone up recently? And, and do you believe it's a bubble? Um, well, it's gone up quite a bit, although it's for this year, it's down substantially. I think it reached a high of almost 20,000 U.S. dollars for one Bitcoin. Today, it's just around 10,000. So it's down by half in a very short period of time. And the reason for that is we're hearing a number, a few countries, China, South Korea, they're talking about not allowing Bitcoin uh, as, a, as a form of, uh, of currency for, for, for doing business over there. And if they were to ban Bitcoin, that would be a, a, a tough blow. So I think that's why you're seeing Bitcoin fall recently. But overall, we'll see if it becomes an alternative to the U.S. dollar. And uh, what do you tell your clients who said, say, get me some Bitcoin? Well, unfortunately, I would tell them I can't buy it for them. At this point, it doesn't trade on a regulated exchange. So it's not like I can go to the Toronto Stock Exchange and buy a Bitcoin. But there are companies that trade on the Toronto Stock Exchange that are involved with Bitcoin technology or blockchain technology. And uh, I guess those are the ones that you could buy. Now, some of them have already gone up. Some of them are really, really small, high speculative, small little companies, which probably for the, for most listeners today, probably wouldn't want to get into anyways, just because of the volatility and the risk. So it's not for everybody. And I think people need to understand that. Okay. So you're saying, uh, if I'm understanding correctly, stay in the market, but but do it cautiously? I think you want to stay in this market. I think you want to continue to rotate money in and out of different assets. If you are fortunate enough to have a profit in one area, you may want to take those profits and move it into another area of the market that hasn't experienced the gains as yet. So I think you want to continue to rotate your money in and out of different things, but I don't think you want to time the market whereby you pull money out to wait at a different point to get back in. Timing the market never works. So I think you stay the course, but I think you want to be watching and watching for to, to take those profits. Obviously, you, you need an expert to help you figure out where to move the money. But but a lot of these things are, are cyclical. I mean, metals go up, metals go down, tech up, tech down. Uh, where are we at right now? 
Well, I think if you talk to a lot of people, they're going to tell you we're uh, we're probably somewhere in the seventh or eighth inning of a nine inning ball game. So we're kind of nearing the end point. I think that's what most people say. And you mentioned you know using a, a financial expert, and I think that's important because you know an expert, uh, an investment advisor, they're there to help you navigate through these ups and downs. Basically, are there to tell you maybe when to take some profit off the table and move those assets into something else. I think that's what they're there for, and they can guide you. They're your guide to your you know financial future to your to reach your goals. And I think they're important, especially in a more volatile market. Right, and I guess that this is the time to be looking at all of that because people are figuring out their assets in time for tax. Absolutely, in time for tax, in time for RSP mm-hmm. season. Obviously, uh, tax-free savings accounts as well play a big part or a bigger part now. You can add another fifty-five. $500 to your tax-free savings account for 2018. That just obviously started in the last two weeks. So there are a lot of decisions that will be made. A lot of things will be done in the first three, four months of the year. And that's when people uh, you know, want to take a look at their investments. And are you advising people to max out on those tax-free savings? Absolutely. If you can do so, it makes a lot of sense. You'll be investing and you don't have to pay any taxes on the money you make. Okay. Uh, We're running out of time, Alan. What would you like to leave us with? Well, I think I would say, you know, for those investors out there that are going to make an RSP contribution or put money into the tax-free savings accounts, I would say don't be afraid of the market. Yes, there will be a correction at some point. I think that is, uh, I'm pretty certain of that. I don't think it's going to be anything of the nature that we saw back in 2008 or 2007. But I think you want to be mindful that corrections do happen. They happen often and they're healthy. And it's an opportunity for people to take advantage of it if you have money available. And it's not something that needs to be feared. And I know some people have their money out of the markets right now and they're just waiting to get back in and they've been waiting a long time. So I don't want you know listeners and to be one of those. The other thing is that, that the drop can happen quickly, but I think historically when when the markets go back up, it also happens pretty quickly. And if you're not in then you don't you're not in on that. Absolutely. We you know we saw the markets drop significantly in oh eight, but in oh nine the markets in some cases in some areas doubled. So it does come back, you know, very, very quickly. Okay. Alan Small, it's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Okay. That is all the time we have for Fight Back for today. We now break for traffic and news. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.